You are listening to the Women of Wonder podcast, where we want to see sisters soar. We hope that you are inspired by this message. Grateful to be with everyone tonight. Thank you for letting me uh, share a little bit of just something that I have dug into a time or two. I, I, I imagine it's true for most of you as, as women in ministry and in this world that we live in. And it's interesting that we still have this conversation where we're questioning the role that we play. And I had seasons in my life where I wondered about that. And particularly, you know, some of those problematic passages with Paul. So I've spent a lot of time with Paul and I have come to the conclusion that he was a friend of women in ministry. And I, and I hope as we go through this content that, that we'll dig into that a little bit and, and we can dialogue about it and hear what, what you think as well. So here's where we're going to go tonight. We're going to look at Romans chapter 16, uh, not every verse in Romans 16, but a few of them. Since we are focusing on women, I'm going to focus in on the women in Romans 16. We're going to talk about Paul a little bit We're going to talk about the setting for the letter to the Church of Rome, and then we're going to drill in on the people, and particularly Paul's nurturing of an Ezer community. Uh, We hear this word Ezer in the Old Testament, and it's a word that's used to describe God's help for his people. It's also a word that's used for women as we help our partners and our, our, those in our lives. But I really think that we're going to learn some new words tonight that are reflective of God's Ezra heart through Paul for uh, particularly the women in this chapter. Now, I want you to think a little bit about some, maybe some technical things. We, we're going to look at a letter And letters in the New Testament are situational. They are written to a particular time and space, to a particular group of people. And we get to peer into that situation and we get to learn from it. And I just find it very beautiful that Paul uh, mentions all these women and he uses all these really cool descriptors. So we're going to do a deeper dive on, um, on some of those beautiful expressions that he uses. I'm going to read the passages. I just feel like it's really important sometimes just to stop a second and read through what we're actually going to be talking about. So I'm going to read this to you, and I just want you to just uh, pause your heart a second and just absorb this language that we're going to think about tonight. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risk their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets in their house. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. In verses 12, 13, and 15, greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Philologus, 
Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. So let's learn a little bit about Paul. He was born in Tarsus of Cilicia, AD 1, which I find interesting that he was born around the same time as Christ and educated in Jerusalem. And we don't have any accounts of Paul and Jesus crossing paths. So I find, I always, I'm just a little bit mystified by that. He was taught by the great Gamaliel I. He died in Rome in the AD 60s. And it is widely believed that he was martyred by beheading. And another interesting thing to note is he would have been beheaded because he was a Roman citizen. Whereas Peter was crucified because he was a Jew. So even in the way that they would have uh, martyred individuals was different based on, on uh, where you, your citizenship. So, so let's talk about the setting for the letter. So Paul wrote this and um, most people agree in AD 55 to 57. So this would have been, you know, 25 ish years after uh, Christ's resurrection. Paul was in Corinth. He wrote the letter to all who are beloved of God in Rome. There's great agreement that he wanted to evangelize Rome. In other words, he wanted to take this small church and expand it. This wasn't a church that he had started, so he needed to explain some things about the gospel. And he was trying to heal divisions that were uh, within those churches. We'll talk about this in a little bit, but Phoebe delivers this letter. She carries it from Corinth to Rome. And uh, the idea was that if she would have gone by sea, we don't know how she traveled there, but if she would have gone by water, it would have been about 700 miles and could have taken her two to three weeks. If she went by land, it was about 800 miles. So just think of the journey that the investment that would have had to been taken to deliver this letter to a community. I feel very humbled uh, by that, that investment uh, during a time when travel obviously wasn't um, the way we see travel today. So let's talk about the church. So like I said, Paul didn't start that church. You know, most of the other letters that he writes are to churches that he started on his missionary journeys, but he didn't start the church in Rome. The, the population there would have been about a million people. And it is probable that Christianity was brought to Rome when the Jews were scattered. Remember the story of Stephen? And it says that after he was martyred, the, the new uh, birth church was scattered. Paul has also met Priscilla and Aquila in Corinth because they had been expelled from Rome. There was a season where the Christians were being persecuted in Rome and they were expelled from there. And it's generally accepted that it wasn't a single church, but a plurality of house churches, um, because you see that Paul's greeting wasn't to a single church. It was all the beloved in Rome. So the church has obviously come to life in Rome. It's uh, growing. It's, it's expanding into homes. And so Paul is bringing this letter there to help them uh, get, get situated with uh, their theology, some of their divisions. And also to really think about the resurrection. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Romans and made a notation of every time that Paul talks about the resurrection. There's thought that the Roman church was sort of in this space where they're saying, hey, 
if Jesus's resurrection is so amazing, why is my life still hard? You know, that ultimate question that we all ask, if God is good, why is there pain in, in the world? And Paul's letter to the church of Roman answers that our hope is in the resurrection. So I challenge you to read the book of Romans and make note of all the times that Paul talks about the hope of the resurrection. For me, that was a very liberating way to read the book because sometimes I get a little bogged down in all of the theology uh, and it feels a little heavy. So, but when I read it through that lens of the resurrection, it really brings that book to life for me. So I just want to encourage you to, to read it that way the next time you take a peek at it. So I want to talk about this little thing, this idea of Paul as a brother. So Paul is, you know, journeying as a follower of Christ during this time when status was everything, your social status, whether you were, you know, he is a, a Roman, a Jew and a Greek. He has all the status, right? But he is breaking down privilege and power and he's forging this new Ezra community and he is constantly calling his brothers and sisters out. He said, this is my sister. This is a servant. This is a saint. This is my brother. And he's really bringing this new sense of family to the body of Christ. And we all know that siblings are, you know, we're called to love by harmony, forgiveness of one another. So, but I really want you to think about this idea of privilege and power and how, you know, being a, a member of the body of Christ levels the playing field. We're all made in God's image. We're all endowed with inherent dignity. We all have something to offer. And Paul embodies this in the language that he uses in his letters when he calls everyone he, he names as a sister or a brother. And I feel encouraged and I also feel challenged by that. So think about that in terms of us as sisters in Christ and sisters and brothers in Christ and how as an Ezer community, we're meant to support one another, right? We're meant to be helpers to one another. We're meant to be one another's champions. And I feel like Paul really, really does embody this. Thinking about this term, Ezer community, remember I said earlier, it's that, that Old Testament word that God uses to describe himself and the way that he helps his people. It's also described in uh, Genesis of a woman being a helpmeet to her partner. But in Romans chapter 16, Paul mentions 37 individuals and 10 of them are women. Calls them out by name for all posterity. I don't know if Phoebe would have known that today we would be talking about her. And who knows when our names might be mentioned for all posterity. But he is consistently telling us in his letters, and particularly in Romans chapter 16, that he could not do what he's done without his Ezer community. So I want us to take a look at some of the women who were instrumental to Paul's work. I also want us to look at some key terms, because sometimes when words get translated into English, they may not have the cultural and impact that they, they may have had in their original context. But the words that he's using for me are New Testament application of it as our community. So we're going to keep going here. So here, here are the sisters that he mentions. And I also put the descriptor on here. I'm a person that sort of breaks things down into spreadsheets. And I know it's crazy, but that's what I do. 
So I made this uh, list of, um, I put down the verse, I put down the name of the person, and then I put down how Paul described them. And you start to see patterns when you do things like this when you're studying the Bible. So he talks about Phoebe and Priscilla and Aquila. He talks about Mary. Andronicus and Junia, which there are some people who think that they were actually a married couple. Uh, Tryphena and Tryphosa. I wonder if they were twins. I don't know. Persis, uh, Rufus's mother, and Julia and Nereus's sister. These are the women that Paul mentions, mentions in Romans 16. And then he uses these beautiful words, sister, deacon, benefactor, uh, co-workers, hard workers, fellow Jews, apostles, hard workers, dear friends, uh, someone who's been a mother to him. So these are really heartfelt words that he is using. I feel heartened uh, by this, and it makes me want to describe my sisters and friends and uh, people in community with, with such beautiful language. I did a little comparison. Again, this is me and my crazy spreadsheet life. I wanted to compare the English translations, and I only did one verses one, two, and seven, because these are the places where there may be just a little bit of wonkiness with the translation. So this word servant, it can be servant or deacon. The word helper could be benefactor or patron. And then the, the question on verse seven is Junia, who some translations tried to change her name to a masculine form because they couldn't believe that Paul would call a woman an apostle. So a lot of uh, people smarter than me have done a lot of scholarly work on this, and it has been uh, very well accepted and proven that this was indeed a woman, that Junia is a woman. So I, I just brought this to your attention because as you're reading Sometimes it helps to read other translations, so you get a fuller look at a text, and sometimes it helps to maybe do, you know, lift the covers up a little bit and look at the original language. Now, I'm not a scholar. I'm just a regular person who loves the Bible and studies it, so I just want to encourage you to, you know, not be hesitant, but just to dig in a little bit if you have questions about things that you're reading. Okay, so let's talk about some of these people and the words that Paul is using to describe them. So Paul uses this word commend, sunestaho, and he commends Phoebe to the community so that she will be held in the same esteem as they would hold for him. That is literally what he's saying. He's saying, I am sending you Phoebe she is carrying this letter. She is going to read this letter to you. And it is as if I am reading it to you myself. So this is a high uh, position for her, a place of great honor. So as the courier, she would have had responsibilities, not only to read the letter, but to perform the letter. So Paul would have, uh, you know, coached her. He would have mentored her in the nuances of the language that he was using. And he would have made sure that when she was reading it, she was reading it from the same heart that he had in, in writing it. So this was a very high position that he gives her. And I just find it beautiful that he gave this role to Phoebe. So she was, he was commending her. Now he also called her a deacon and this word diakonos. It's translated into English as deacons, servants, helpers, ministers, and it's used 27 times in the New Testament. 
It is only used translated into English as deacon three times. And one of those is for Phoebe. And the two other times that is mentioned are for Tychicus in Ephesians and Colossians. It's also used to describe us. And it's used to describe Jesus uh, as a helper, as a minister. So I don't want to make the word more than it should be. But I do want to point out that because he is describing her role as a deacon in a specific church, the church in Centria, Paul is most likely pointing out a specific position of authority in that church. And remember, he called her a benefactor. She was a patron. So she would be basically financially supporting the community. I'm going to talk about that a little bit. The benefactor, that word prostatis, it's only used once in Paul's letter, and it's used to describe Phoebe. And it is a specific role in the uh, Greco-Roman world. Patrons were benefactors. In other words, they would be financially covering a person, the arts. They would make it possible for a teacher or an artist to do their work and not have to worry about how they're, how they're eating and where they're living. So Paul is saying he couldn't do his work in a, as an apostle if he didn't have this benefactor of Phoebe. And she was most likely providing financial support for him so that he could pray and study and travel and start new churches. So I think that we can all agree that Phoebe's role was pivotal to the launching of the New Testament church to the Gentiles. Um, When you look back at that photo of all of Paul's journeys, you know, he made three missionary journeys uh, and one journey to Rome. Just imagine Phoebe you know, hey, what do you need? How can I, how can I support you? Priscilla and Aquila, you know, we've read about Priscilla and Aquila in the book of Acts, that we have this word, this beautiful word, sunagos, and that means co-worker. In other words, a co-worker is a peer, right? They're, they sit in the cube next to you, and you're basically doing the same work on the same hierarchy in, in the organization. So he's saying Priscilla and Aquila are my co-workers. It's interesting that Priscilla's name is first. Usually that means that she had a higher social status. And it, it's, it's quite rare for a woman's name to be first in the Greco-Roman realm. But uh, here we see it. So ways that Priscilla and Aquila created this Ezer community, they served alongside Paul. We are told that Priscilla taught Apollos. He had some incorrect theology and she took him aside and said, hey, brother, let me clear some things up for you, right? And Paul greets uh, Priscilla and Aquila in three of his letters. So not just to the church of Rome, but in 1 Corinthians and 2 Timothy as well, he greets them. So they were, they were bosom buddies with Paul. Okay, then we get to Andronicus and Junia. I believe that this is a married couple. And they, and Paul describes them as apostles. They were Jewish. I just feel like Junia, bless her heart, all these years, you know, doing the hard work of being a representative of Christ, planting churches, maybe performing miracles, a missional woman. And somewhere along the line, someone thought, gee, Paul could not be talking about a woman. Let's just add an S to her name and make it a him. But I believe that her story is standing the test of time. Paul says that among the apostles means that Junia herself was an apostle. 
I can't wait to meet her. I'm just, I'm not kidding. (laughs) Someday we're going to meet her (laughs) and we're going to say thank you for uh, being the trailblazer, for submitting your life to the authority of Christ, for traveling, for sharing the gospel, for starting churches. Okay. Last little group of women here. I put their names up here. At first I said, you know, the other women, and I was like, no, their names need to be up there. Tryphena, Tryphosa, Persis, Rufus's mother, Julia, Nereus's sister. And by and large, Paul calls them hard workers, kopiaho. And that's not just a word for someone who puts in a good day's work. He is talking about someone who pours themselves out for the sake of the gospel. It's the same word when, when Christ says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's that same word, weary. So Paul is saying, these are my hard workers. They have poured themselves out for the sake of the gospel. I do think it is significant that Paul obviously valued hard work. Um, He was a hard worker himself. But here are these women who have poured themselves out for the sake of the gospel, and their names are recorded for us to emulate, to think about, to thank God for, and and to celebrate. So as are communities in the New Testament, deacons, servants, benefactors, co-workers, apostles, hard workers, to me, these are all the descriptions which support ways in which Ezra communities are being cultivated in the early church. You know, you could think of yourself as a deacon, as a servant, and maybe you're a benefactor or a co-worker, an apostle, a hard worker. Don't think about that just in in your own being, but as you're being in community with others. That's what leads us into that Ezra community and strengthens us to be, I think, more representative of the body of Christ in action. We hope that you enjoyed this teaching. We are a community that walks alongside women to uncover and affirm their calling through prayer, teaching, and celebration. Visit womenofwonder.us to learn more.